Before we jump into our passage this morning, I just want to pause and note two things. First, I just want to say welcome to our college students. So glad you guys are here, particularly to our upperclassmen. Welcome back. We've missed you guys. And if you're new to UBC or new to Fayetteville, then welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And secondly, Brad mentioned last week how sometimes the Lord orchestrates things on our sermon schedule um, that we would love to take credit for, but we really can't. We're not that clever or far-seeing, but praise God that he is. So when we put this sermon card together back in April, we knew that Brad was going to need to be gone this Sunday to take his son William up to a college in Indiana. And so he asked me to preach, and what a privilege it always is to get to preach to my church. So I was grateful for the opportunity. But it wasn't until just a couple weeks ago that we realized with, with that came the great opportunity for me to preach on the 20th anniversary of my arrival at UBC. So isn't that cool? Praise God. So the Sunday before the U of A started in 2003, I wandered onto campus here at, the, here at UBC for my first service just right up the hill. Probably I got here around this time for an 11 o'clock service in the chapel. And God has richly and wondrously shown me his mercy and grace to the people here at UBC. And I am so grateful to him. And I am so grateful to you guys. So, I love y'all. College students, we are so glad that you are here and you are in the right place because this church loves college students. We love you. And there's so much that's going to happen in the next couple years of your life. There's going to be lots of ups and lots of downs, and we want to be in the thick of it with you. We want to be right there in the middle of all of that. We want to be pointing you towards Christ, and we want to be encouraging you in the hard things, and we want to be preparing you for whatever the Lord has in store for you. We want to be there. And we're so glad that you're here. Because we all know that life, it's not static. It's not flat. It's a whole lot more like a roller coaster than it is a merry-go-round. Year to year, month to month, day to day, life comes at us fast. And the changes, they seem, uh, well, they seem endless. They're often unexpected. They're sometimes catastrophic. And so as we ride the roller coaster that is life, we have to deal with all the dips and turns and lifts. And those are the things that, sure, that make those things fun. They also are what makes them terrifying or deadly even. And so riding a roller coaster requires a lot of trust. You have to trust that the engineer did all the math right. You have to trust that the builder set his welds right. You have to trust that 16-year-old back on the platform will stop flirting with the girls in line and hit the emergency button when he needs to. There's a lot of trust involved in riding just a roller coaster. How much more so is there in life? And so where do we turn? Where do we turn? When life feels like it's coming off the rails, 
when the twists and the turns and the dips and the lifts of our circumstances and our emotions are completely out of our control and they are way too much to handle, in those moments, who do we trust? And how do we call upon the one in whom we trust? Well, that brings us to our sermon text this morning. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 31. Now, sometimes we can assume that the writers of Scripture didn't have to deal with the same kind of corkscrews and loop-de-loops that the rest of us have to deal with. We assume that their faith was so strong and their their hope was so secure that everything just felt like a merry-go-round and not a roller coaster. But as you'll see in our passage today, not only did they experience those highs and those lows of life, they even wrote to us in ways that mirrored that experience. Psalm 31 is filled with ups and downs and lefts and rights. And when we read it, you'll notice that it moves from the heights of faith in one moment to the depths of despair in the next, often with very little warning and much, not much space in between. Kind of like a day in my life or your life. Amen? So if you would, please turn with me to Psalm 31. If you're using the red pewback Bible in front of you, you can find our psalm starting in the bottom corner of page 461. And if you brought your own copy of the scriptures this morning, I have no idea what page it's on. But the psalms are in the middle of the Bible, so if you just kind of open to the middle and find the big number 31, you'll be able to follow along with us. Listen as I read. To the choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me and a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. You are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. You have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, 
let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Amen. Well, with all its twists and turns, it can be kind of hard to pin down the structure of Psalm 31. Depending on how you look at it, these 24 verses can be divided into between six or 10 different sections. It's filled with requests and laments, commands, declarations, praises. But all of these are directed toward the Lord God. As David cries to his maker to be a help to him in his time of need. So to keep it simple, we're going to consider Psalm 31 this morning from the perspective of three ways to call out to the Lord. Three ways to call upon the Lord. In verses 1 through 8, we will see that David calls upon the Lord in faith. Verses 1 through 8, David will call upon the Lord in faith. In verses 9 through 18, David calls upon the Lord in hope. And in verses 19 through 24, some of you guessed it, David calls upon the Lord in love. Faith, hope, and love. That familiar New Testament refrain, that tripart description of the life of the believer. Faith, hope, and love describe how we're to interact with every part of life, but most importantly, how we are to interact with the Holy Creator and the Lord of the universe. And so first, as we bring our requests, as we approach the God of the universe in the midst of our distress, we call upon the Lord in faith. Now, we're not exactly sure what David's circumstances were when he penned this poem. The passage that Carol read for us earlier out of 1 Samuel 23, it seems to fit the bill. But we also know that David had lots of other trying circumstances, and so it could have been one of those, or it could have been a combination of several of them. Whatever's going on, David begins this psalm with a declaration of faith. And, and faith is looking back on God's past provision and character and depending on those now in the present. So David is going to look back on God's past provision and God's character as displayed in the past, and he's going to depend on those now in the present. So in faith, 
David calls upon the just and the upright name of God to rescue him speedily. Not because he's earned it. Not because he's perfectly righteous in and of himself. No, David's request is based on the Lord's righteousness. Look down at verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. The object of David's faith is not himself. And it's not any other created thing. It's definitely not an idol. And it's not a work of his own hands. David has entrusted himself, body and soul, now and forever, to the Lord God. It is a profound decision to commit oneself into the hand of a holy God. It's not something that can be done half-heartedly. David isn't depending 90% on God and 7% on his army and 3% on his own cleverness. No, faith-filled dependence must be complete it, it, it can't split between God and, and any other rock. All other rocks are shifting sand. And so to visualize that this morning, I'm going to ask a favor. If you're able, while you remain seated, just lift your feet up off the ground. All right? You can put them back down. For that brief moment, you fully entrusted yourself to that pew. You didn't cling to anything else. You trusted that that pew, pew was going to hold you and everybody else in your row. And praise God for sturdy pews because that illustration could have been a disaster. <laughs> but that's what David is doing here when he is entrusting himself to the Lord. He, he's doing so fully without reservation, without a backup plan. And, and Christ would do the same. That's how Christ understood verse 5. In his last recorded words on the cross in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus turns to God the Father and he quotes verse 5 out of Psalm 31. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And there we see the son of David quoting King David as he breathes his last. The one who didn't deserve death, but willingly took it on to redeem others, fully and finally entrusted himself to God the Father, to the will of God the Father. And in doing so, he not only modeled faith for us, but by his perfect payment, he enabled faith. He enabled our ability to entrust ourselves to that same Holy Father. Let me encourage you to join us again tonight as we dive even deeper into what that looks like for Christ to be our perfect model and for him to be our, our pattern of faith. Sam Connect has already put some wonderful work into the devotion tonight from Luke 23, 20, 46. And I would encourage you to join us tonight at the evening service. Because as we look to Christ to be who enables us to follow his model, it's not to do it half-heartedly, it's to do it fully 
to fully trust, to call out to the Lord in full and unhinged faith. David's faith, the faith that we see here, allows him to look beyond his circumstances. His circumstances are dire. They don't seem to have changed. And yet he can look beyond them and recall God's past works of deliverance in his life. Look down at verses 7 and 8. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Because you have seen my affliction, you have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. His circumstances, though dire, likely have not changed, but his response is not controlled by those circumstances. Instead, his faith, and more importantly, the object of his faith, the steadfast love and deliverance of the Lord, they determine his response to his circumstances. They control what comes out of his heart. He is glad. David rejoices. He remembers that the Lord has not handed him over to his enemies, but he has shielded him with his mighty hand. Christian, I, I, I don't know what circumstances you're facing. I don't know how dire they might be. What I do know is that if God has saved you by his grace, then you have much to look back on and rejoice. Whether that's recalling his work of saving, converting grace in your life, or it's just reflecting on the small ways he has shown his faithfulness to you in the past. Now, I know that sometimes our circumstances can, can seem to wipe out our memories. They can make it hard to recall all the ways God has shown himself to be faithful and true. But in the Lord's kindness, he's prepped us for moments like that. Because he's filled the pages of his Bible with story after story of his unrelenting power and willingness to save. Dig into these pages. Dig into psalms like this one, especially on days when your memory fails you. And then have your faith in the one true and living God warmed and strengthened. One of the many reasons I love Sundays when we get to have baptisms is because we get to hear story after story of God's saving power. And so let me ask you, brother and sister in Christ, when was the last time you shared your story like you heard stories shared this morning? Maybe over lunch today, take some time and recall the goodness and the grace of God and share stories with one another about how you were brought from death to life. And if that seems like a tall ask, then let me encourage you to do what we encouraged Nicole, Andrew, and Nick to do. Take time, write it out, think about it, hone it, practice it, and then take an opportunity between now and next Sunday when we gather again, Lord willing, to share that with somebody else, to recall the goodness of God. I promise it will bolster your faith and theirs, and it may call them to new faith in Christ. Now, it's at this point in the psalm that we've reached 
the top of that first hill in the roller coaster. And that lift hill, it, it provides some pretty fantastic views. I mean, it is beautiful to look from the top of the hill of faith. But it also sets us up for the plunge that's to follow. And the plunge is coming. And it's a false gospel that tells you that the more faith you have, the fewer problems you'll face. No, faith doesn't erase the plunges of life. It sustains us through the plunges of life. And the plunge in Psalm 31 is deep. It's bone-crushing deep. And just like our faith doesn't erase the plunge, by God's grace, the plunge cannot erase the truths that we cling to in faith. In fact, it's that faith that they can lead us to call upon the Lord in hope. In the midst of our distress, because we have called upon the Lord in faith, we can also call upon the Lord in hope. And that's what David does in the next section. When David calls upon the Lord in hope, it's from deep in the pit. Look at with me at verses 9 and 10. And, and as I read them again, note how all-encompassing David's poetic language is here. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. David is crushed by these circumstances. He stacks phrase after phrase after phrase on top of one another to convey the, the unrelenting nature of this distress. And, and maybe you feel that this morning. Maybe it feels like life just keeps piling on. You, you wake up. You wake up fretful. You're, you're thinking of all the things that can't get done. You spend all of your day unfocused and ineffective because your mind is trying to solve a thousand problems all at the same time. You end the day and you, you fall asleep in tears because no one knows what you're going through. And then you wake up exhausted, forced to try to do it all over again. When that describes your day, your week, your month, your year, where do you turn? Who do you trust? David was asking the same questions because he feels completely alone. He feels cut off from the Lord. Once again, notice how all-encompassing David's distress has become. In this case, I'll, I'll read verses 11 through 13. And, and notice how the different rings of his relationships are abandoning David one by one. Because of my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me 
as they plot to take my life. You can imagine how this might have gone down in Keilah from the passage that Carol read for us earlier in the service. Right before we got to the part where Carol picked up, David had, and his mighty men had just rescued the walled city of Keilah from the Philistines. And they, they enter into the town as heroes. And everyone's singing their praises. And then word gets to town that Saul's coming. And he's going to kill David. He's going to kill all of David's allies. And suddenly his neighbors, those closest to him, now hold him in contempt. His friends and acquaintances, they start to dread his presence. Even strangers on the street no longer want to be associated with him in any way. They, they flee from him rather than be considered one of his friends. He's forgotten. He's ignored. He's despised. He might as well be dead. And then... To make matters worse, the townspeople begin plotting against him to save their own skin and turn him over to Saul. The rumors, the whispers, the lies, they keep growing. And I know that some of you have lived through this. You've been falsely accused. You've heard the rumors that have circled around you and and still follow you to this day. Some of you have to deal with a, a constant barrage of being questioned and accused and mistreated and uh, mistrusted by, by all the tiny little humans that live in your home. Some of you, some of you live in constant fear that all those cruel posts you see from your teammates and your classmates and your sorority sisters that are currently all aimed at others that will one day find their mark on you and that you will be destroyed. You're petrified that they'll bring your world crashing down around you. And when that's your world, where do you turn? Who do you trust? Well, David doesn't trust himself. He doesn't try to fight his way out of town he doesn't start a, a political campaign to, to win the hearts and minds of the villagers. He doesn't fight fire with fire and, and start his own batch of conspiracies and lies and rumors. No, he turns to the Lord in verse 14. He says, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. And with that reminder to himself and that declaration of dependence on the Lord, David calls upon the Lord in hope. Now, remember that hope in the Bible isn't just a positive think thoughts about what might happen in the future. Hope in the Bible is confidently looking forward to God's promised provision and his character and depending on those now in the present. Looking forward to his promised provision and character and depending on it now in the present. That is hope. And so David's hope leads him to, to rightly bring his requests to the Lord. And he has two requests. First, David asks in verses 15 through 17 
that the Lord would look on him with favor and rescue him from the hands of his enemies because they're God's enemies. And, and this request, like the call in faith, it, it's rooted, we see, in the steadfast love and the, and the righteousness of God. Not in David, but in the Lord. And then secondly, David requests in verses 17 and 18 that God justly punish those enemies because they are God's enemies. They are wicked and proud, and they are opposed to the righteous. And so he turns to the Lord and asks for vindication. In the same way, when we call upon the Lord in hope, we're asking him to fulfill his promises to save us and to punish the wicked. When we pray with the author of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we are simultaneously praying Psalm 31, verse 2, rescue me speedily, and Psalm 31, verse 17, let the wicked be put to shame and go to the place of the dead. Christian, you can call upon the Lord in hope for both of these things without hesitancy or without apology, because both are rooted in the abundant goodness of a faithful and just God. And so, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then what our passage tells us is that you are hopeless. Hopeless in this life and in the next. You're hopeless in this life because even those who are outside of Christ they're not spared from distress and despair. And you know that. Your, your own story reminds you of that. It reminds you of how the wicked love to chew up their own and spit them out. But when calamity comes in your life, where can you turn? Maybe the government or philanthropists or hard work, they might spare you for a short time. But how long will all of that last? There, there are countless examples in our world where that didn't last very long at all. It wasn't nearly enough. And, and even if they help you through your whole life, they cannot help you in the next. For the Lord will come to judge the living and the dead. And when you are found to have pridefully refused his forgiveness his refuge, then he will repay you for that. He will abundantly repay you, it says, with the wrath of God. And what hope do you have to withstand the righteous judgment of God? Well, I bring you good news this morning, that there is hope. You are not left hopeless you can turn and trust in Christ. There was one, even greater than David, who suffered the distresses of Psalm 31. Jesus' enemies, they conspired and they lied and they falsely convicted him and they crucified him. And he became a broken vessel on your behalf. He, the innocent, suffered, bled, and died. And God vindicated him 
and raised him from the dead. And now he sits at his rightful place, at the right hand of the Father, offering salvation to all who will repent and believe in him, who will turn from their sin and trust in him in him alone, who will find their refuge in him. Instead of trusting in yourself or, or any other created thing, you can entrust your spirit to Christ today. You can trust in him to be your eternal refuge from the consequences of sin and brokenness. I would love to answer whatever questions you have about that. And I would love to help you call upon the Lord in faith and in hope. You, you can find me after the service right down here, and I would love to chat with you. Or, or better yet, you can just ask someone who's nearby you to give you an answer for the hope that they have. And I promise you, they would love to rearrange the rest of their day to answer that question for you. Because that's because God has changed them and, and has given them a hope that they long to share with you. And, and, and we desire to be the kind of people who use our words to, to build up and, and to point others towards faith and hope and love. And so turn to them and ask. And, and fellow UBCers, just as a side note, we can't be that kind of place if our speech is marred by, by whisperings and, and rumors and, and slander and malice and lies, we must put all of that aside and instead put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of our creator who loved us and who sent his son to rescue us. And because he first loved us, we can call upon the Lord in faith. We can call upon the Lord in hope. And because he loved us, we can call upon the Lord in love. The command to love the Lord comes down in verse 23. But it only comes after David has modeled what it looks like in verses 19 through 22. Love, that selfless reorienting of all of our affections and all of our care towards another. David loves the Lord. Listen how he expresses that in worship and adoration in verses 19 through 22. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. David gushes with the love for the one who has mercifully heard his plea and rescued him from death and despair. Because God is not stingy with his affection. He, he doesn't just barely protect the faithful. No, he has stored up abundant goodness and he delights in lavishing it on his children. He, he plucks them out of the net and he places them in a broad place. He brings them under the cover of his own presence. 
The holy God himself is that storehouse of goodness for us. In him, we find all that is good and right and just and satisfying. And so the command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, well, it's not burdensome. It's not awkward or, or forced. It's a joy, as we see here. In the sight of all mankind, uh, on a hill called Calvary, and out of the mouth of an empty tomb in Gethsemane, God the Father has wondrously shown his steadfast love to you. And so, praise him. Sing to him. Sing of his grace and mercy. When we get to our final hymn here in just a moment, sing it loudly and boldly, courageously and out of love. Tell of his wondrous works to others. This week, pray for and then courageously take opportunities to strike up a conversation with a, with a neighbor or a coworker or, or your kids about God's mercy. College students, maybe even now, consider starting an evangelistic Bible study in your home or in your dorm in the apartment complex. If you join us on Wednesday nights when we meet on campus, we're going to be working through the book of Mark for the next six weeks in a way that we would hope you'd be able to replicate with your friends on campus. Those are not chores that I'm giving you. Those are delights. Those are wondrous ways when we can express our love to God. No matter our circumstances, we can delight in the love of God and we can call upon the Lord in love. Now, as we close, I, I want to share briefly how the Lord has used this in a variety of circumstances in my own life, even just this week. So, for the last several months, Caroline and I have been prayerfully considering a big, significant decision. And about a week ago, on a, on a Friday night, we were, we were talking through that with some friends and trying to figure out kind of what, what all the unknowns that still were left for us to be able to make a decision and our friend wisely just looked at us and, and simply reminded us, guys, love the Lord. Pursue him and not anything else. And, and, and all the rest will fall in place. And so the next morning, um, I get up and I'm, I'm praying through the decision still. I'm, I'm still unsure of how it's all going to work. And in God's providence, I come to Psalm 31 Verses 23 and 24. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. And it was such a comforting word last Saturday morning. Love the Lord, Cole. Be faithful to him. Don't make these decisions pridefully. Be strong and courageous and wait for the Lord. And then in the Lord's providence, we didn't have to wait much longer. Because the next evening, we found out that that door had been closed and I wasn't going to be able to consider it any longer. And while in many ways that was a relief and certainly it was an answer to many prayers for clarity, it was also disappointing and 
and confusing. And so Monday morning, I get up, and I'm wrestling through all those emotions. And I'm, I have these questions that I'm still bringing to the Lord about why it's gone the way it's gone. And in my quiet time, in God's providence, I come to Psalm 31, verses 23 and 24. And as I read it, guys, I, I literally laughed and said to myself out loud, of course, the answer is still the same. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait on the Lord. Let's pray.